This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, we'll be looking at verse 10 this morning. And as you're turning there, I want to thank you so much for being here today. It's wonderful to celebrate Easter with you. I do want to turn your attention to two cards right in front of you. One is a prayer card, and that's there because we love to pray for you. We love it when you tell us specific ways how to pray. So if you'll give us that information, we would love that. And then this next card, the blue card's a connect card. Uh, you can give us some information about yourself and uh, let us know that you are here. That gives us a chance to follow up with you. There are offering boxes at the back of every door. Just put those in there. Let us know how we can pray for you and uh, a chance for us to get to know you. Well, as a church, it's our normal habit to walk through books of the Bible, and we are going through the book of Hebrews this, this, uh, this season. I would have normally come to this next passage and preached a larger portion of Scripture. My plan was to preach Hebrews 2, 10 through 18. But I came to verse 10 and thought about the fact that it was Easter, and I was so captured by the truth of what was in verse 10. This morning, we're just going to be looking at that one verse and trusting that the Lord has something good to say to us today. I saw a series of kids' books recently on the great heroes of the Bible. I opened it up and looked through it, and it's, it's everything you would expect. It's, it's all the classics. It's the Bible's greatest hits. It's all of the people that we know and that most unbelievers know. Of course, there's Noah and his building of his ark. There's Abraham and the dramatic decision he made to leave everything and to walk by faith. Of course, there's David who defeated Goliath. There's Elijah who called down fire from heaven to consume the altar and then went and slaughtered all these prophets of Baal. It's an incredible story. There's Rahab, who hid the spies that came in to spy out Jericho. Every one of these stories seems to be more epic than the next one. You just can't imagine them getting better. They're all really spectacular stories, and so it makes a good children's book. But as I looked through these stories, I began to notice there were some things missing. They certainly got the highlights. They saw these people's greatest moments, but they seemed to leave out some details. Now, I know that in books like this, you, you can't give all the details, but these were like glaring details that seem to be missing. And as I read through them, I began to notice a common theme in every chapter. They had managed to put in words so that everyone could read every single person's most epic and brilliant moments and then neglect to ever mention their most epic failures. And every single one of these people had some epic failures. Let's don't forget that when Noah got off the ark, the next episode we find is Noah drunk and naked. Let's don't forget that Abraham was a chronic liar. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah, after calling down fire from heaven and going and slaughtering these prophets of Baal and what is one of one of like the baddest moments in all of the Old Testament, he hears that the queen, Jezebel, wants to kill him, so he runs from his life. He's terrified, he's scared. He gets under a tree and just prays that God would kill him. And then there's Rahab, did some incredible things. I know we've got the children in the room. Let's just say she was a woman of questionable character. 
All of them did great things. That's true. And everything that was said about them was true, but it just seemed a little wrong to leave out all of these other details. Now, it's a children's book. I understand that. And I would imagine that no parent would want to buy their children a book about great heroes of the Bible and open up to the table of context text and see a chapter that says, the day Noah got drunk, right? That's not going to be a big seller. Nobody wants that. But it just felt, it felt dishonest to me. The truth is, I don't think we should be embarrassed about all these failures. There's a reason these failures are listed in scripture. I mean, the Bible could have left them out as well. I mean, the Bible could have done what the book did and give all these brilliant moments and then leave out after the ark with Noah, but it, it didn't. It gave us all the information, the good, the bad, and the, and the ugly. Part of it, I think, is helpful because it reminds us that these great heroes of the Bible are just men and women. They're not, they're not much different than us. We have some epic successes and some epic failures, amen? But it's even more important than that. You see, given the whole storyline of the Bible and everything that God is communicating, it's important to see that every one of these people had some failures. Because it reminds us that every one of us is looking for a hero. We're infatuated with heroes. We love hero stories. That's why the Bible has so many of them. I think God has put it in our heart to love hero stories. We love them. We're always looking for a hero. What we find throughout scripture is that every single hero falls short. I mean, we think that David is going to be the great hero that we need when he kills Goliath. And then all of a sudden we realize after some murder and adultery, he wasn't the one. Oh, certainly Noah is going to be the hero we need. And then the whole episode of being drunk and we realize maybe, maybe Noah's not the hero we need. We, we definitely think Solomon's the hero with all of the wisdom. And then there's the things with the wives and the concubines. And it just seems that every single time we think we found a hero, we realize that they failed in incredible ways. Because every single one of those stories is trying to help us to understand that although we desperately need a hero and we all want a hero and we long for a hero, none of those people are it. There's still a hero to come that is the hero we need. And that's the point of Hebrews 2, 10. If you have your Bibles open to Hebrews 2, say amen. It says this, for it was fitting that he, God the Father, for whom and by whom all things exist, the creator, sustainer of everything, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, the word I want you to notice this morning is that word founder. He is the founder, Jesus, the founder of our salvation. It's a word that's used another time in Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2, a more familiar passage where it says Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our salvation. The word author there is the same Greek word here. It's used two other times in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, all four times together refer to Jesus Christ. So this is a word only used for Jesus. And it can be translated a lot of different ways. It kind of gives the idea of a pioneer or a trailblazer, someone who finds a new way and takes that way and then shows that way to others and leads them the way. A great pioneer, a trailblazer. It could also refer to someone who's a great champion, a great victor, a great rescuer. It can refer to someone who's an incredible leader, someone who takes us in a way that we could not find unless they let us there. So there's a lot of different ways to use this word, but the most helpful thing in understanding this word is to know 
that this was a word that would have been very familiar to those who had heard this message. Because in ancient Greek literature, this was a word that was used to refer specifically to Hercules in Greek mythology. So there's all of these great heroes in Greek mythology and these heroes would have been very much like our superheroes today. Everyone was familiar with these great hero stories. But there was one hero above all in Greek mythology, Hercules. He had superior strength. He was one like none of the others. There was no one else like Hercules. He was greater in passion and bravery and strength. And he was so great that he was considered an immortal god and hero. And so they certainly would have heard that this word was referred to, used to refer to, to Hercules. Hercules is this one who is the author, the founder, the pioneer, the hero. And you see, the one who was writing this used that on purpose because he wanted, as they heard this, for it to strike their imagination and realize, wait a minute, we're using a word that was referred to Hercules and now using it for Jesus, we're taking this idea of a, Hebrew, of a hero and simply saying this, we know about heroes. Our stories are filled with heroes. We long for heroes. We want a hero, but Hebrews 2.10 is saying this, there is only one perfect hero that is the hero you want and the hero you need, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the only real hero. Every other hero with all of the great things they did, had massive failures. But Jesus Christ was the perfect hero. And God has put inside of every one of your heart the need, the desire to grab on to some hero. And the only one that is good enough is Jesus Christ. This verse tells us some incredible things, some personal things about this hero. The first thing it tells us is this. Jesus is the hero, listen, sent for you. The mission on which this hero came was you. You are the mission. He's come for you. Jesus is the hero sent for you. I love the way this verse starts because we need this. We need to be reminded of this. It says, for it was fitting that he, God the Father, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So this verse is all about the, the grand plan of God. God has always had a plan to restore his creation, every single one of us back to the life God intended for us. This life that you're living right now with all of its brokenness and all of the sin and all of the slavery and all of the issues that you're dealing with is not the life that God created you for. He created you for something greater. But sin has messed all of that up. And sin not only brought brokenness into the world, it brought brokenness into all of our lives, but God has always had a plan. And the God that we serve is the God who always fulfills his plans. He's working all things according to the counsel of his will. And his plan has always been what it says in this verse. Listen, his plan was to save people from sin by sending a perfect hero who would not only rescue them from sin, but would suffer for them. That's always been the plan of God. To send a hero, to suffer for you, to save you from sin and to bring you back to glory. And the goal of that plan has always been what it says here, to bring many sons to glory, to bring us back to the life that God created us for. That was always the plan of God. And so it reveals the whole plan here, but, but it's more than that. It, right here, we, we get the heart of God. 
You see, it's one thing to know a plan. It's another thing to know the heart behind the plan. When it says it is fitting, it means it was right. It was appropriate. It, it made sense. It was reasonable. That's what that phrase means. It means that what God has done in this grand plan to save people through a hero and to bring them out of sin and into glory, that makes sense when you know the heart of God. So if you were to read the Bible from beginning to end and you were to put all your preconceived notions about God, because all of you have them, you have thoughts in your mind about who God is, and you were to put them aside and you were just to read the Bible and say, God, I wanna know you, you would come to Hebrews 2.10 and you would hear that God's plan has always been to send a perfect hero to save you out of sin and bring you to glory. And you would go, oh, well, that makes sense. That's fitting. That's perfectly in line with what God has always done. Because the truth is everything about Jesus, what he says, his coming, all of his works are revealing to us the heart of God. Hebrews 1 makes it clear. Some of you were here when we talked about that a few weeks ago. God has always spoken in many times in many ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, Jesus Christ. If you wanna know the heart of God, look at Jesus. If you wanna know the heart of God, listen to Jesus. If you wanna know the heart of God, see Jesus. John 1, 18 says, no one has seen God at any time, but Jesus has made him known. So God has not left us without the ability to see his heart. We see it through Jesus. And what we see in Jesus, listen, is that God loves you and he sees the brokenness of your life and it matters to him. His heart breaks over your brokenness. He sees the effect of sin on your life and your family. In every area of your life, he sees the brokenness and it breaks God's heart. He sees it, he loves you, he longs for you, he has something better for you. All of that revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. You know, I think if we're honest, and I have to be honest this morning, and say there's so many times in my life in which God has put me in a situation or allowed me to go through something that seemed incredibly confusing. Having known the heart of God and spent a lot of time studying the heart of God, sometimes God brings us through a situation or a circumstance that just doesn't seem like it matches with the heart of God. It's hard to know how to navigate those situations. I was even just thinking this morning as I was praying through this message, times in my life in which I have been on my face before God all alone and honestly angry with God because the situation I'm in didn't seem to match what I thought about God. I'm just telling you, anyone that's honest will know you have been through a situation, if you haven't, you will be, in which it doesn't seem like everything that you've heard about God is true because your circumstance doesn't seem to match up. So let me just tell you something. There is a God who is orchestrating everything in our life and he is behind all of these things. He is never absent, he is never distant. He always knows what he is doing. And in the midst of all of those moments, the best thing we can do is hold on to the simplest truth of John three sixteen that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In other words, in those darkest moments, we're reminded of the fact that there is a God who loves us and he has proven his love for us and his desire for us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, the ultimate revelation of God's heart. And there are times that get confusing. There are times that seem dark, but in the midst of all of those times, we hear the heartbeat of God as we see Jesus Christ. And that is what this is saying. It's fitting. It is in line with the heart of God to send Jesus to suffer for you. Why? Because you are highly valuable to God. You are cherished by God. You are pursued by God. You are loved by God. So this whole idea 
of sending a perfect hero to suffer for you, to bring you out of sin and into glory, that's fitting. That's exactly the kind of thing that God would do. Listen, this hero, this perfect hero has been sent for you. This is personal. This is about God coming after you. Not only has this hero been sent for you, this hero has been sent to save you. The hero has been sent to save you. So it said, it's fitting, it's in line with God's character, that he, God, the one from whom all things exist, in his desire to bring you to glory, listen, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. What is he the founder of? Well, he's the founder of of salvation, the mission for which this hero has come, listen, is to save you. So there's this, this, this picture of this massive, epic hero story, the one we've seen a thousand times, but the hero has come for one purpose. He's come for you, and he's come to save you. He's come to deliver you. What is on his mind as he comes is, is you, and he's come to save you. And this is where that idea founder kind of makes sense. It's why they translated this way, because Jesus really is that, that pioneer He is the one that found a way to God the Father. He then walked that way to God the Father and then he comes back and invites us to go that same way. This is why Jesus says in John 14, six, I am the way, the truth, and the life because Jesus is the only one that found the way and made a way and can bring us in that way back to God the Father. You see, the goal of Jesus' coming was always to bring you to glory. You see, we talked about this last week that God created you to rule and to reign over this earth. He created you to be crowned with glory and honor and sin messed all of that up. All of the dignity that you have and were created with has been tainted by the reality of sin. There is not one area of this world or your life that has not been messed up by sin. But God doesn't want you to live like that forever. God wants to give you something greater. And so God has sent this rescuer to bring you out of sin in order to get you to glory, to bring many sons to glory, to good. I'd been here about three months pastoring and I came down off the stage after the service and I stood right there when a girl came up to me and uh, she said, I've got a question for you. I said, okay. She said, why is it that you always talk about sons of God and never daughters of God? Why does the Bible always talk about sons and, and not daughters? And I, it was a legitimate question, but I've been married long enough to know that tone of voice matters in certain circumstances. So I, I kind of felt like there was something behind that. And I, I, I kind of got the sense as we talked, what she was saying is this, listen, you're new here and they don't have you figured out, but I do. You're one of those guys that hates women. To which I wanted to say, I live with five women. I don't hate women. By the way, if you're visiting, I have four daughters and a wife. I don't have... Five wives. <laughs> I'm also not the hero you're looking for, right? I, no, it's, it's all legit. She, she was coming at me. She's like, I know you Baptists. You hate the women. You never, no place for women. We just do nothing while all you men do everything. And I just explained to her the reason the Bible always does that. It's because in the first century, women were valued and daughters were valued, but they didn't get any inheritance. The sons got all the inheritance. 
And so a, a dad would die and the firstborn son would get a double portion of the inheritance and he was the one that was kind of ruling over the rest of the family, but the daughters didn't get any inheritance. And so the reason that the Bible always says that Jesus has come to die and to save you and to make you into a son is to let everyone know that whether you're a male or a female, a Jew, a Greek or Gentile, if you come to Jesus Christ, you get everything that God has. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. The greatest thing that the Bible could say to a first-century daughter is you come to Christ and you get treated like a son. Every blessing that God's got, all the inheritance that belongs to Jesus, it all goes to you. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ of everything he has. That has always been the heartbeat of God to find a way to get you back to glory, to get everything that God has ever established for you. He is the founder of our salvation. Listen, one of, the, one of the ways in which I think we've often communicated the gospel wrong is that salvation is not just about saving you from something, it's about saving you to something. So we, we often start short, stop short with the gospel. We say that uh, God wants to get you out of sin. And so people will pray a prayer and say, okay, Lord, I wanna get out of sin. And then they just go about their lives, but that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that God wants to get you out of sin in order to take you into glory, for you to experience his life as you follow him. Some of you may be familiar, certainly if you grew up in church and you have seen it before, uh, that word picture of salvation. There is mankind over here. You can picture that in your mind's eye. And then God over here and a great chasm in between. The problem is, is that we were created for God and everything that our heart longs for, listen, everything your heart longs for is found in God. Nothing else will satisfy you. And so we come to this realization and we wanna to get to God, but there is no way because of this massive chasm that is here. And it is impossible for us to ever cross to the other side. We have too much sin. And even if we could scale down to the bottom of one side, then we would end up in death and hell. And we can't get into that to go to the other side. It is impossible for us to do that. And the reason Jesus is called the founder of our salvation, the author, the trailblazer, is because Jesus is the only one, because he was a perfect hero that never sinned, could go from here all the way over to here. He made the way. And he says, if you want to know the way, the only way you will ever know the way is coming through Jesus Christ. It is only through a life lived for Jesus Christ that you get from this side to this side. And everything your heart has ever longed for is over here. There is nothing but increased brokenness over here. So this great hero has come for you. Listen, his mission is you and he's come to save you. He's come to get you out of brokenness and out of sin and he's come to bring you into his glory, into the life you were created for. But not only that, the final thing it tells us is that Jesus is the hero that was sent for you. He's the hero that's come to save you, but he's also the hero, listen, who came to suffer for you. He knowingly came so that he might suffer for you. Look what it says. It was fitting that he from whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now that's a confusing three words. There is no one in all of the Bible, no place in all of the Bible that talks more about the perfection of Jesus Christ in the book of Hebrews. You can't read the book of Hebrews and come away seeing anything other than the fact that Jesus was perfect. He never sinned. He was the hero we needed. 
Why does it say that Jesus was made perfect through suffering? Well, that word perfect means it was made complete. So think about this, okay? We, we, we've, all, we've gotten, so here, here's the Bible before Jesus right here. And then all of a sudden we get to Jesus right here in Hebrews. And we've been disappointed a thousand times by our heroes, haven't we? And, and, and all of you have. You've put your hope and confidence in someone else and you've been disappointed. And, and uh, you've looked at the heroes and thought, well, this is the one for me. And they've all disappointed. And so we're just kind of cynical and used to getting disappointed by our heroes. And all of a sudden we find that there's a new hero and his name is Jesus Christ. And we get our hopes up and we think, well, wow, this, this may be the one. And we watch him through his life and he lives this perfect life in this right relationship with God. And then all of a sudden he dies and we think, well, if he died, he couldn't be the hero. And then we wait three days while he is dead, convinced that just like all the other heroes, he has failed and died. And then all of a sudden, three days later, he comes out of the grave and he is risen from the dead to show that he has power and victory over death and sin and hell. And through his resurrection, he has completed the journey that God the Father had for him. And he has now been declared the perfect hero because he accomplished everything that that hero needed to accomplish. So it's saying that the reason we know that Jesus is the perfect hero is because of what he has accomplished for you in his sinless life, his death, burial, and resurrection. So think about this. There is mankind here, you, let's don't be vague. You're here and God is here. There's this massive chasm in between. And what Jesus did, knowing that you needed to get from here to here because everything you've ever longed for is here, Jesus comes and plunges head first into the chasm. There's death there. There's hell there. All of the junk in our lives, all of the sin in our lives, all of the confusion and the brokenness, Jesus willingly jumps into the chasm and takes upon himself through the cross everything you deserved. You know, God doesn't forget about sins. God doesn't forget sins. What God does through Jesus is he takes your sins and puts them on Jesus. They're not forgotten. They're paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Every sin that has ever been committed has to be paid for. And so what God has done is through the cross of Jesus Christ, as Jesus on the cross plunged into death, every sin you've ever committed and all the baggage and all the junk at one moment placed upon Jesus Christ and he paid the penalty for all of your sins. Imagine the weight and the pain of every sin you've ever committed. The guilt, the disgust, the anger, the dysfunction, every bit of it in one moment placed upon Jesus Christ. He took the weight and the penalty of every sin, plunged headfirst into that great chasm and paid for it. You see, that's, that's good news, but it's only good news if he comes out of the chasm. It's only good news is if after paying for the sins, we realize that we're not just free from our sin, but we now have the ability to walk in a new life and get to the other side. And so Jesus comes out of that chasm. He comes up the other side of the hill and declares that he has gotten victory over your brokenness and sin and death. And then it is the cross of Jesus Christ between the chasm that allows you to go from here to here. And what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ is to trust that Jesus is the only way to get from here to here. And the way you get there is you trust Jesus Christ and his death as the payment for your sins. And then you say this, Lord, I'm willing to follow you from here to here. 
You see, it's not enough to just know that Jesus died. The devil knows that Jesus died. He was there, he watched it, he saw the whole thing. He knows about the resurrection. It's more than that. You must trust that death as the payment for your sins. And then you must say, I believe everything good is found in Jesus Christ. Therefore, I'm gonna follow him all the way to glory every day of my life. That's what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ, to choose by faith to trust Jesus. So what's the point of Hebrews 2.10? It is this. The God who loves you and he created you and longs for you and is brokenhearted watching as you continue to reject Jesus Christ and just bring more brokenness in your life. Who is brokenhearted every time you run to something else to find hope, something else to find joy because he knows every single bit of it will disappoint you. That God who is brokenhearted over your sin has sent a hero named Jesus Christ to come and save you from your sins by suffering on your behalf. So he gets your suffering and you get his glory. Listen, that's, that's why we celebrate Easter. Because of Jesus' plunge into death and his resurrection into new life and the fact that that is not simply a vague story from the past, that is the hero sent for you. It's the only thing that matters this morning is if that hero has saved you. It's so easy on Easter to think about somebody else, isn't it? What about you? What about you? What's your plan to get from here to here? Do you recognize that everything is gonna be continually broken unless you come to Jesus Christ? What's your plan to get there? The only answer is coming and giving your life to Jesus Christ and saying, Lord, I not only trust you, I'm giving my life to follow you. There is nothing good in this life that doesn't come from following Jesus Christ. I'm yours, let's go. That's life with Jesus. You say, how do you do that? Well, Romans 10 tells us, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Listen to me, every single one of you has to come to a moment in your life in which you say, Lord, I'm ready. I receive you as my savior and I choose right now to make you the Lord of my life. No matter what comes my way, I'm gonna choose to follow Jesus Christ. At one moment, you have to make that decision And that is not the end, that is the beginning of a new life in which every step of the rest of your life, you're not only headed to glory as you follow Jesus, but you're leading other people with you. You need a hero, desperately. And the only one who will never fail you, who has demonstrated his perfection through his death, burial, and resurrection is Jesus Christ. He's the hero you need. Let's bow our head and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.